So there are modern tools and there are old tried and true and this slide on the screen has some some old woodworking tools and uh, even the most modern tools are based on the same premise as the original designs. They just made more efficient because we're replacing some of this manual motion with a powered or a mechanical one. But the truth remains, the best way to cut is to saw. The best way to bore is to drill and the best way to nail is to hammer. An American psychologist, Abraham Maslow said, if the only tool you have is a hammer, you treat everything as if it were a nail. Isn't that right? You see, it's all about having the right tool for the job. And as we continue this series on the impact of Christ's life, this morning we're going to look at the powerful tools that Jesus used during his relatively short time on earth. Not carpentry tools, but teaching tools. So first, and arguably the most important, Jesus spoke with and by his authority. And in Matthew 28, 18, we read where Jesus came to his disciples. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now the thing about authority is it can't be claimed. You can't take authority. It must be given to you. It must be granted. And Jesus' authority was given to him by God. And as I say that it's arguably the most important because without authority and credibility that goes with it, his words are just an opinion. But by his authority, coupled with the other teaching tools that he used, the message and the impact of Jesus' life will last in eternity. And with this authority, he spoke to affirm the words and commandments of his father. And during the Sermon on the Mount, which we previously studied in depth, we find Jesus speaking with his authority to explain the law of Moses. Matthew 5, and this is all found in, in 5, and again, I've started putting the, the verses that I reference on the back of your bulletin in the announcement page, so feel free to refer back to those. But he always started by saying, you've heard it said. Because he took the words and he said, you've heard it said, you shall not murder but in Matthew 22, the next verse, he says, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, which means you're empty or you're worthless, is answerable to court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, Jesus took this statement and with his own authority explained it. It's not just murder, because if you do these things, it's just as bad as murder. He says, you've heard it said you shall not commit adultery. But then he goes on in the next verse says, but I tell you, anyone that looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It has been said anyone divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But he goes on to say, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her a victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And he goes on, he says, you have heard it said an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. And then he goes on, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Matthew 5, he explains, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He never contradicts the words of the Father, but on his Father's authority, he explains these a little deeper, a little more meaningful. And in each case, Jesus didn't use his own authority to replace the words of God, nor did he use his authority to embellish the words of God. He didn't add fluffy language. He used his authority to further the understanding of his father's words. Another of his tools Jesus used was parables. These are these stories. And he did so to make the lessons relatable. Okay? It wasn't just thou shalt or thou shalt not. He said, imagine this story. But the use of parables requires a degree of wisdom. You need to understand what he's saying to you. You need to be open you know, as a listener, you need to be open to what's the message here. 
And you're likely familiar with the parable of the Good Samaritan found in Luke 10. In fact, when I, last night I took all of my notes for this message, and there's a lot of red because I cut it out because it was going to be very, very lengthy, and I apologize, I still may go a little long today. So hopefully you're familiar with the parable of the Good Samaritan. If not, it's in Luke 10. But listen to Jesus' words at the end of the parable. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. It's a story. It's a story with a message. In Matthew 13, 3, he shares another parable and explains both the parable and his choice to use the parable. So let's listen to Jesus' words. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his field. As he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But then the sun came up, and the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So we started this message or this service with, you know, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Let's, let's listen to this. And his disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to people in parables? And he replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. See, if you're in tune with Jesus, if you're listening to Jesus, you hear the message of the story. That has been written for you. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. But he goes on, he says, But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but do not see it, and to hear what you hear, but do not hear it. Then he explains the parable. He says, Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown, sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of his life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Another one of Jesus' tools, he used dramatic and sometimes wild examples to stress a point. Matthew 5, 29, 30. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better that you lose one part of your body than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's extreme language. And I don't think he literally meant gouge it out or cut it off. He's saying... Listen, you gotta take this stuff seriously. You you can't you can't let something cause you to stumble. It's better to to cut that part out of your life than it is to let it in there. And, and there are things in our life that are intended for good that we get so focused on, right? The pursuit of of worldly things and whatever that may be for you, that that it can become the thing you you idolize, the thing you study, the thing you worship, and unintentionally a good thing. You're saying. Cut that stuff out. Throw it away. 
even if it's important, even if it's really good because it's a stumbling block for you now. What about this one, Matthew 7? Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Not a literal plank, but you know, he talks about this hypocrisy and we as Christians who know what is right and what we're called to do and we, because of that, we can identify it. And sometimes we identify it in other people's lives better than in our own. And he's saying, hey, before you nitpick someone about that little thing in their life, you know, keep, keep an eye on yourself. Here's one we talked about this morning. Jesus asked a lot of questions and he tested his listeners. Okay, because he did this for proof of understanding. I'm asking you this. I want to make sure you heard me right. And if so, I'll say yes. If not, I'll, I'll explain it differently. And it forces a person to think a little deeper about what they just heard. And this morning we went around the table and we took 135 questions. We just picked a handful of them. And we looked at the questions Jesus asked. And we read a couple verses on either side. And we said, okay, what is this saying? And I thought we had a good discussion about that. Some examples, Matthew 16, Jesus says, What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? That's a deep question. What good is it for you to gain stuff for the world if it costs you your soul? You're in the world for many years, if you're lucky. But your soul is eternal, you know? Matthew 22, we read about an exchange between Jesus and some Pharisees that had intended to trick him with their question. And they said, and Jesus knew this, and he, he, he recognized their intent, and he says, you hypocrites, why are you trying to entrap me? He says, show me the coin they're using to pay the tax. And the Pharisees are saying, what do you think about this collection of taxes? What do you think about this money going there? And, and they were kind of testing him to see where he stood on church and, and God versus the law of the land. And they brought him this coin at, their, at his request. And he said, whose image is on this? And what's the inscription? And they said, well, it's Caesar. And he said to them, so give back to Caesar what's Caesar's, okay? This belongs in the world. It stays in the world. And to God give what God is his. And when they heard this, they were amazed, and they left and went away. He asked them a question. He forced them to think about this and say, you can't trick me to make this decision. They're separate. There's the world, and then there's, there's the kingdom. And Jesus liked to issue challenges with, with the hopes that his, his followers will succeed. Now, God will test you from time to time. He won't tempt you, but he will test you. From Luke 9, he says this. He, he gathered 12, the 12 disciples together, and he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and he cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he gave them some specific instructions. But if we skip ahead to verse 10, he had told them to come back and report. This was the challenge. Don't just do it. Come back and tell me what you had done. And in verse 10, it says, When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. He issued a challenges and he followed up. Listen, this, this one contains a question and a challenge. This is the rich young ruler, and you're probably familiar with this. Man came up and says, Good teacher, what must I do to, a, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony on your mother and father. He's, he's listing the laws. And the man says, you know what? I've kept all these since I was a boy. I've been good. When Jesus heard the sermon, he said, you still lack one thing. He said, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And when he heard this, the, the man became very sad because he was very wealthy. He had a lot to lose. 
In this case, I would expect that Jesus was even more sad and disappointed than man. He said, oh, you got all the other stuff right. But the one thing I asked you to do, you couldn't do. You know, and it's not just about kingdom wealth. It was about because that was this man's worldly thing that he was hung up on. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about what it means to quit. And there are some certain things to, that we need to give up. And we're going to talk about what those are and when they are. And they aren't all bad things. Some things are really good, just a little bit out of whack with our priorities. And that's where this guy was. Jesus said, give it all up. And, and if it had been a poor man, he, he may not have said, give it all up. Or if the man had great wealth, but, he knew, but Jesus knew he was willing to give it up, he probably wouldn't ask that question. You know? But Jesus knew his heart, and he said, you need to choose. You've done all these wonderful things, but there's one more thing that you didn't do, and that's put God first. Just one more example of a challenge. You know, Jesus was, was talking to the disciples, and he decided to go, obviously, off the dead and went up and prayed. And he sent, he sent his disciples ahead in a boat. And you've probably heard the story. They're out in the, in the boat, and here comes Jesus walking across the water. It sounds like the, the start of a good joke, doesn't it? But it's true. Jesus walked across the water, and they were afraid because what is going on? And he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. No, just, just testing what's going on here. And what does Jesus do? He said, okay, I'll come here. Come here, Peter. Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to cry, and he sank. Lord, help me. Immediately, Jesus reached his hand out and caught him. He says, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed in the boat, the wind died down. Okay? Jesus was going to test that. He said, if you're going to test me, I'm going to test you back. He says, do you trust me? Come. You know, it's, it's like the same we talked about this morning. If you've got the faith of a mustard seed, you can tell that mountain to move and it'll move. Now, that may not be literal, but maybe another one of these hyperboles. But he said, you asked me to come, come to me. You know, see what I can do for you. But when you question it, you lose that power and that authority. You know, this is one of my, one of my favorites, and, and I believe it's one of the, the main reasons Jesus came, and that's to live among us and to demonstrate that you can live a good and perfect life. And he demonstrated in so many ways not only what he taught, but what he believed. John 13, 3, you know, he'd already known that all, all these things were put under his power, and, and he, um, he was getting ready the, to sit down with his disciples and and he now had the full knowledge, the Bible says. All, all knowledge had been given to him. And what is the first thing he does? He takes a towel and he washes the feet of, of everybody. And, they, and Simon Peter said, Lord, why are, you, why are you washing my feet? And Jesus said, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but you will understand. And Peter says, no, you're not going to wash my feet. You're never going to wash my feet. Jesus says, unless I, I wash your feet, you have no part of me. He's saying, you have to let me serve you. Then Lord said, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Isn't that what we want? Okay, if you're going to do this, I want the whole deal. Jesus said, that's the only part that's dirty. He said, this is what I'm going to serve you. And he, he serves this example, and he makes a teachable moment where he says, I am the Son of God. I have all power and authority, and what am I going to do with that? I'm going to serve you. And that is so typical of his ministry and the message he lived. Matthew 18, this is, you know, again, they were talking about this, the disciples, and they said, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And, of course, they, uh, they, they were wanting this answer, and probably because they want to know how they could become the greatest. 
what does Jesus do? He called a little child to him and placed a child among them. He said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He set an example. He said, look, here's a child. This is what you're like. You be a childlike. Or the widow. You know, they were having discussion in the temple and he's watching people give their offering and here comes this poor little widow who put in two very small copper coins, just a few cents, all she had. And he said, look, here's another example. He said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything all she had to live in, live on. And there's so many times that Jesus used repetition, including Old Testament scriptures we saw um, in the, the Sermon on the Mount where he said, you've heard it said, and he repeats these things and he repeats the stories. And, and it's okay to repeat the words of an expert. Do you remember, um, I showed a video. It was Michael Jackson and it was Fosse. Do you remember, um, his name escapes me, but he was a, he was a, a dancer famous long before, um, before Michael Jackson, and all these moves he learned from him. And everybody thought Michael Jackson was the greatest thing, and he was very, very, very talented. But you don't have to come up with the new idea, the new slogan to sell Jesus, okay? You don't have to have the new creative idea. It's great if you can think of something. It's fantastic. But at the same time, God's word stands on its own, and you can share that, and it's okay to say, I... I'm reading scripture. I didn't, I didn't make that up. That's, that's God's word. One very important message that Jesus taught, in one way he did, it was, was about prayer, about connecting to God. And I love that Jesus prayed all the time because he had a direct line to God the Father. And if he had to pray like that, then how much more do I need to pray? Right? If he had that relationship and still talked to God, then how much more do I and it often says Jesus withdrew, as he often did, to lonely places to pray. He maintained that relationship, that conversation. And in two places, the Lord's Prayer is referenced. And, and we know, we've already recited as a congregation, but I want to talk about a couple of the verses on either side of it. In the version in Luke, it says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as Don, uh, John taught his disciples. And he said this, to them, when you pray, say this, and he, and he taught the Lord's Prayer. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless um, audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. You've heard this verse. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and the one who knocks the door will be opened. He's saying, here's the prayer. And, and when you do this prayer, know that when you ask God for something, he will hear you. And in Matthew 6, he also teaches the Lord's Prayer. And he says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues, on the street corners, and seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now think about that. All the claim and accolades they get for, oh, a fantastic prayer, oh, a man of God, and that's fantastic. 
but that's, they may be all they get if that's what they're doing it for. If that's their motivation is for show and not for the words they're actually saying, he's saying they've got their reward in full. That's their blessing. They got it. Hope they like their attention because that's all they're getting. But he says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who's unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And he says, this is then is how you should pray. And he goes on to the Lord's Prayer. And then he says, for if you give, forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you. It's not just about the prayer. It's about the heart of the prayer, about what your intent is in speaking it. Just a couple more of his tools. Jesus sought the lost, the sick, and the curious. In Matthew, we hear a story while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. There were many tax collectors and sinners that came in and ate with him. And the Pharisees saw this. These are the, the religious elite. And they said, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. You heard that before? And Luke, says, Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. He taught everybody. And when he landed one time on a beach, he saw a loud crowd. He had compassion on them. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. And he went through Galilee, teaching synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness along the way. If we waited until we had it perfect to come to church, to enter into a relationship with Jesus, the place would be empty. This place would be empty. There would be no need, and that's not the way it works. Jesus died for us while we're still sinners, and that set an example, and that is we can have that relationship now. How we get better, how we figure it out is because of the relationship. It's not the precursor for the relationship. Okay. And Jesus, even though he knew he was going away, he left some parting words. He was comforting his disciples at the Last Supper. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, also believe in me. He says, I'm going ahead of you to prepare a place. And Thomas said, I don't, I don't know where you're going. So how do, how do we know the way? And he says, I'm the way. I'm the truth and the life. No one comes to Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. And Jesus went on to have this conversation with him. And, and he says, where I'm going, you can't go now, but I'm prepared a place. But he goes, I'm going to ask my Father for a helper, the Holy Spirit. And he's going to come and he's going to help you. He's going to live within into you. He's going to give you those words, those, those utterings. So when you don't know what to pray, you'll know what to pray. And when you don't know what to do, it'll help you understand what to do and recognize things. And then Jesus refers to him as the advocate. But you, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I live with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives, but do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. He says, I'm going and I'm, and I'm coming back to you. He says, now, now he gives this great commission. He says, therefore go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Those were his instructions. He was continuing to teach. He said, I'm coming back, but I need you to carry forth this lesson because Jesus was limited by the extent of where he could travel. 
and to those who came and gathered to hear him. He was essentially his ministry on, th on three continents right there around the Mediterranean Sea. And this good news that spread immediately and then continues is because people took this great commission and, and shared it. They, they, the disciples continue his teaching and they taught others and they shared the teaching. And each person who heard and repeated this served the God in their role of relaying the story. And this continues yet today. In Romans 10, it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But it goes on. It says, How then can they call on the one who's been, who they didn't believe in? They had to believe. And how can they believe if they haven't heard it? So they have to hear so they know what to believe. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless some, someone's sent? Right? Do you see how this works? You have to take that knowledge and you have to share it. And the, the, as it trickles down, you, you're sent and you preach and they teach and they hear and then they believe and then they're saved. And that's all a part of this job that we're to do. And it says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now these are tried and true tools of teaching and reaching them. And, and they're very powerful. But we have some modern tools that Jesus didn't have. I mean, number one, where it took him days to go 100 miles, we can be there in, in hours, Right? We have the church. We have a physical place to gather and, and build ourselves up and, and, and refresh ourselves and, and renew the word. Okay, this, is, this is base camp before we go out and come back. This is our base camp. And, and this church was established by God. You know, He said, Peter, and he said, who am I to you? Who do people say I am? Who am I to you? And he says, you're the Messiah. And he goes, that's right. And on this, I will build my church. It is on that, that this building, which is just a building, but it represents the church. We are the church. And we have a, a psychological sense of belonging because we share in our faith. Even if we're on this place, our walk, or this place, or this place, we have a common belief and a common goal, and that is to be reunited with our Father in heaven. And it provides a support network and a fellowship and a means of study. And the Hebrews says it best, I love this. And let us consider how to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Right? Isn't that what we do? We encourage each other. Not giving up meeting together. Right? Something we need to do. As some are in the habit of doing. But encouraging one another and all the more as the day approaches. We have other tools. We have social media. And I love seeing when someone gives credit for something God did to God. We were talking about that in the Bible study this morning. How exciting it is to see celebrities say, you know what, these are God-given talents. I thank God that I'm at where I'm at today. We have our testimonies, our personal stories. We have our prayer requests. All these are ways that we share the good news, you know. We have technology. We have online resources. We've got Bibles that we can carry in our pocket. I mean, we have podcasts so we can continue to learn, and we have information that's centralized so we can get all the stuff we need. So do you see what one man accomplished with the right authority and some basic tools? Do you see that 2,000 years later we're studying and those words are still true and for the foreseeable future? And I love that Wes brought in his Bible from, I'm sorry, 1901, 1911, what was that? 1901 that that thing was published. And the words are the same as this one here that was probably in the 90s. And, and my phone, which an app that I just installed a couple years ago, it's the same word that perseveres. You've been given the same authority because you've been given authority to teach in his name. Okay, When you speak 
the good news, you are speaking with the same power and authority that Jesus had. Because God says, this is my commandment I give you. And you've actually been given more authority because you've been given a commission. You've been given an instruction and you've been well equipped to do this. So what will you do with your powerful tools? That's my challenge for you this week. Let's pray. Father God, it is amazing and without a doubt a miracle that your few years of teaching such a powerful message made it such an impact on the world. And it is amazing what authority and truth and proper motivation and the right tools will do in finding success in delivering this message. God, you part of this world with words that says, go forth and make disciples of all nations and baptize others. And this commission wasn't just to the 11 disciples that were gathered there, but to all people for all times. And here we are thousands of years later in this church in the middle of the country called to make a difference in the world. And for the past few weeks, we've talked about and discussed what that means and how it can do it. So God, help us to be inspired by the authority you've given us, by the commission you've put on us, by the equipping you've done within us to be a part of your story, to spread the good news. Father God, I certainly want to be thankful as always of this building, all that have contributed to it in the past and currently and in the future. And as we celebrate 40 years of this congregation making impact in the community, we pray for 40 plus more and let this be one of your tools to reach those that are seeking you. Let it remain a home base for those who have found you. Let us come here and be energized and, and recharged and affirmed and, and share fellowship with each other. Let us have a common place where we can lift up our prayers alongside each other and know that our brothers and sisters care and love for us. God, we thank you for all you're going to do this coming week. We thank you for the reminder that the empty places in the pews serve, that there is room in this house, in your house, to invite others. God, we thank you for the beautiful weather. We thank you for the opportunities that you present to us. And again, we thank you for the, the life, the teachings, the death, the resurrection, and the gift of grace that came through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.